Hey, what's good? This is Rich, and you're listening to Paychecks and Balances, where the overachievers of the world unite. But seriously, this is a podcast about the intersection of work, money, and life. So whether it's getting a new job, getting into investing, or simply trying to get it all together, we're talking about it. And before getting into today's show, quick update that if you're looking to book speakers or a live podcast event for your company or employee resource group, be sure to visit paybow.co slash workwithrich because a lot of people don't know that I do live podcast sessions on personal finance, on careers for companies, for employee resource groups. And that's something I've been doing behind the scenes for months now. And people have asked me why I don't mention it on the podcast. So if you are looking for a speaker, you are looking for someone to come in and do an event around generational wealth, personal finance, how to progress in your career, I am available for that. So again, paybal.co, and that's P-A-Y-B-A-L.co slash work with rich. And also, if you're thinking about kicking off a career move for yourself or you've got interviews coming up or you just need someone to tell you what you already know so you can go out there and do the damn thing, definitely hit me up. You'll visit that same page, P-A-Y-B-A-L dot C-O slash work with rich. Now, let's work together. And on today's show, I'm chatting with the founder of the Ivy Investor, a money nerd with degrees on degrees and a bank of knowledge that had me thinking about new ways to invest. And I'm still thinking about this. Today, I'm talking to Courtney Richardson. And this episode is way overdue. We first started talking about uh, her coming on the podcast probably three years ago. And we joke a little bit about that during the episode today. And on last week's episode, if you didn't check it out, I talked with CFL player Courtney Steven about crypto. This week, I'm talking to Courtney Richardson about investing in cannabis and crypto. And we'll also hear about her journey into personal finance while juggling the day job. And since crypto is also just a very bro place, you've probably heard me say that on the podcast if you've listened recently. I asked her about her experience navigating this relatively homogenous space and really appreciated the candidness in her answer. So here's my conversation with Courtney, and I hope you enjoy. Courtney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I think we've talked about this a couple of good times about before we actually made it. Yeah, a couple of good times. We're literally talking years at this point, and it's awesome to finally have you on the podcast. And I know a couple of years ago, uh, I noticed you were talking a lot more about cannabis investing, at least what I saw. We were having a whole conversation about how if you're in the mix, you see things versus like if you just casually see something like you hear Dodgecoin, you might not have any idea what it is. My mom has no idea what crypto or any of that stuff is, but she's probably, if I said Dodgecoin or Dogecoin, she'd probably know what I was talking about. Uh, so for the PNB family, because I did say a little bit in the intro about your background, but for the PNB family, tell them a little bit about yourself and in particular, how you ended up starting the IV Investor back in 2014. Everything looks like it was so well planned initially, like from like kind of looking behind. I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I graduated from undergrad in 2003. So I've been in financial services for Whew, almost 20 years. Don't tell people that, though. <laughs> I don't it's look a day over five. Um, but I started in the financial services industry, graduated with a BA in philosophy, and um, I didn't have a job. I was going to go straight to law school. That was my like dream, my hope, whatever. And then I was so burnt out from the philosophy degree. Um, 
I was just like, I need some time. And really? my parents were like, yeah. Philosophy. So that reading, I got shook. I took a philosophy one old something and thought it was going to be a cakewalk. Hardest course I ever took in my life. When you, you're reading that much, you're writing that much, you're thinking that much. It was a lot. So I was like, I need some time off. And my parents were like, you need a job. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so, um, so I ended up, I don't even know. I had like my resume on Monster and I got picked up by a financial services firm. And they're like, hey, you want me a financial advisor? And I'm like, oh, look at all my options. I don't have any. So sure. I got a Series 7, got a, uh, which is a general securities license. I got a Series 66, which allows me, well, at the time, allowed me to charge people for my financial advice. And then I had a life accident and health um, license, which allows me to sell life insurance, health insurance, long-term disability, long-term care. And so that's how I started out with my career. And I hated it. I hated it. I can't even express to you how much I hated it. Why? So I don't want to trigger you, but everyone has their reasons for why they hated it. It's fine. So I was a 21-year-old making 100 dials a day in a cubicle when all of my mm. friends were out doing other fun things. One, two, I made $18,000 a year in 2003. Oh, my chest just got tight. Mm -hmm, it should. My dad kind of, and I mean, shout out to my parents. My parents are just amazing. So my dad was like, listen, I got you. You don't have to um, struggle. I will help you pay your, because um, I had a roommate. He's like, I'll help you pay your rent until you get it back together. So I ended up working for Sam's Club, which actually at the time is my first time I purchased a stock. I did it through their employee stock purchase plan because I couldn't afford to purchase stock as a financial advisor. Hmm, funny. <laughs> so did that, um, ended up going, um, getting into banking from banking, I was recruited to Merrill Lynch. So at Merrill, I did 401k service. I did high net worth advising. And now like this is just think of it. This is the heyday of the market. So we are going out every week for steak dinners with wine. I learned at the time, like I was a very young 20 something and I was still eating my meat well done. Um, learned very quickly. Oh, no, no, honey. Or whatever that meme says. What is you doing? Exactly. So I learned very quickly how to um, act in those places, which was amazing because it really accelerated my personal growth in these places. I was promoted to assistant vice president as like a young 20 something. And then like life started to fall apart because the market started to fall apart. I was laid off in 2009 and mm. I was actually planning to go to law school. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm laid off. What should I do? I was like, oh, I was going to go to law school part time anyway. So this works out well. Went to law school did oil and gas um, work, which is basically title work. So just think about like real estate work on steroids. We, it was, it was interesting. Learned a lot. I had a lot of my friends calling me. 2014, like all of my friends, you know, who kind of were in their careers and kind of starting to make that first transition out. They were rolling over 401ks or trying to cash them out. They were buying homes, doing all the things. And I was getting like, my phone started to ring off the hook. And I was like, and it and it in big law, you have to bill your time. So I was billing like every, you know, sixth of an hour. Um, every and I was just like every single time, I was like, yo, I gotta bill, y'all. I, I can't talk to you. And one of the things that I noticed is that people didn't have that foundation they needed to be able to make good rational decisions. So they, you know, and just think of it this way. I mean, when you get your 401k plan or whatever plan you get. You get your 401k, you get your health benefits, your dental, and they're like, here, and here's your cubicle. And you got, you know, and at some point your trainer will come or not. 
and, and you're left to your own devices. I like that. I like that. And it's real though, because I'm thinking about what I did with my first 401k, which was nothing. I didn't contribute to it. I didn't, it just sat there. I left the job. I like remembered it years later, like cashed it out. Just not just like pure foolishness and nonsense because I had no idea what I was doing. And that's the experience for a lot of people. That's the common, like that is the common experience. So as we were talking through these conversations and I was providing advice, I was like, wait a second, you don't fully even understand what I'm talking about. And they were like, no, I I don't. And I was like, okay, well, let's back up. And I was like, I don't have time to get you up to speed for us to have an intelligent conversation about options. So why don't we do this? I'm going to write a blog because I was kind of like a frustrated writer, like as a philosophy major, like I write. It was a help for me and a help for them. And that was 2014. And that's how the Ivy Investor was started. So I think it's really cool that as I tell the story about how the Ivy Investor started, it was really because of my friends. That's really how it started. So they were like, hey, you know, we need you. I need you. And it it worked out. So I've been educating since then. And and in the interim, in terms of education, I got a additional degree. I got an LLM in taxation. LLM. And it's called a master of laws. So I did that. So I have the real estate experience. I have the financial experience with the stock market. And then, you know, I'm a law person. So cannabis kind of comes into that because cannabis is driven by the law, as we kind of all know, because, you know, yeah. driving by black, you know, uh, getting locked up because you're black and you have weed. Um, there's so many different aspects, you know, or brown because of weed. There's so many different aspects of that experience that are based in the law. Um, so I'm just a nerd and I love it, but I can also make help, make have make myself money from being a nerd, but also inform other people on how to use that knowledge to make money too. Interesting. So for the cannabis stuff specifically, how did you get interested in it? Because you mentioned like the legal part of it. And so when I think legal, well, I guess there's, there's multiple sides to law and there's probably a lot of misconceptions that I have in my own head, but I think risk aversion. Now, on the other side, I understand that there's a lot of opportunity in it. Hence, there's a whole industry. But I think about like some of these spaces, the money management, like doing things the right way. And so we understand it's a part of it, but it's not something that's like emphasized, like get out there and put that risk to use. Like that's not a thing. So considering everything else, like why, and I understand being a money nerd, but like still, but like why that when, given that there's so many other things out there that you could have gotten into or were into, are into for that matter. So it's my audience. My audience did it. Um, I want to say in like 2016, beginning 2017, people started asking me about cannabis. And I was like, okay, you smoke it. I don't know. That's not what I do, but that's what people do. And they were like, yeah, I want to invest in it. I was like, okay, I mean, rock out. If that's what you want to do, it's not legal. So all right. And they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm like, "But but I do. It's not legal though. But again, this is like right after Colorado. So Colorado became like the biggest state to go legal, legalize adult use um, marijuana in 2012. And then Washington did too. So people are seeing it like, yo, but don't you see that over there? I'm like, it's still not legal though. So yeah. many people reached out to me about it. I was like, okay, let me hold on. Just let me look to see what's going on. And then when I looked, I was like, oh, this is this is fascinating. So kind of some of the things that I learned is that you really want, when you're looking at an industry that's kind of blooming or blossoming, you want to get in the beginning. But one of the things, the way you talk about risk, the way you mitigate risk is that you become educated. 
and you become an educated investor. That's the best way to mitigate risk. Now, it doesn't completely remove risk out of the equation because these new industries conceptually always have risk. And we can even look back to the internet. So I don't know, um, you know, we're about the same age. So back in the day when the internet, like the, I don't want to say the advent of the internet, but you had like pets.com and then you had amazon.com. One of them doesn't exist anymore. And the other one's a behemoth. So the same thing with cannabis, the same thing, and we'll talk about this later, the same thing with cryptocurrency. Like at some point, these things are going to be here. The internet is going to be here. Cannabis is going to be here. Cryptocurrency is going to be here. It's just a fu- function of what's going to be here to stay, what has that that stickiness, that longevity, and what is kind of fleeting and flying by night. And, and, the, and the answer is, I don't know. But you try to be as educated as you can about it. And then you also, you know, put a portion of your um, investment portfolio into it. So I have like a 60-20, I mean, excuse me, an 80-20 rule. So I say, okay, 80% of my stuff is in like regular, vanilla, everyday, Uh, just kind of plain stuff. Funds, the boring stuff. Yeah. This part of my portfolio is not going to get me excited I mean, although every so often it does, but it's also not going to end me for all intents and purposes. And, you know, this is just generalization going to end me in the poorhouse if something goes terribly wrong. So that's kind of that my 80 percent, my vanilla portfolio. But then we have like the 20 percent for the razzle dazzle. So that's my crypto. That's my cannabis. That's all the fun things that are going on that I'm interested in that really do have the potential to go somewhere, but they also have the potential to go nowhere and actually less than nowhere. Yeah. But with great risk comes great reward. How did you land on the, on the 80, 20 for yourself? Because I'm probably like, for me right now, I'm probably like 95, five, honestly. So my 80, 20 is, is that I got it from being an advisor. So that 80 is that boring stuff, but 20% can be anything that you want, anything that you're interested in. And when I tell people about what they should be investing in, it's like what you know, like, and trust. That's a good basis to start. That's not necessarily everything you know, like, and trust. Do you invest in? Maybe not the best idea. But then like what you see other people being interested in, what your kids are bugging you about. And then also I have innovation. Like that's kind of like what's the next wave. So those are the things that I think investors should be looking at in terms of their buckets. So you have your vanilla stuff, whatever that vanilla is for you. And then you have the 20%, which could be crypto. It could be anything that's interesting to you. But then you also have an aspect of that 20% that's cash. So you can take advantage of really, quote, fun opportunities in the market. So eventually I want to get to the 80-20. I'm going to keep rocking with this 95-5 or this 96-4 or whatever I'm doing right now. But the other thing with this, though, is because people may be interested in crypto. They may also be interested in getting on like a public, which I think I saw you got up on there recently. I love that app. And uh, they, they're getting on these various platforms. And I found myself doing this, which is why I'm ready to go back to just like the boring old investing on the, on the traditional side where I'm like, all right, now I'm I'm spending. I feel like I'm spending a lot more time looking at market stuff because I'm doing more of this kind of like day to day now. Whereas before when it was set it and forget it, I didn't care anything about the market moving up and down. Like all all of that stuff in the news was nothing to me. Whereas like now I'm spending a lot more time with it. So there's that constraint. The other thing is if somebody is trying to do both these things at once, like they might really struggle. So it it may be best, like if you are getting started to like pick one thing first, all right, like crypto is what you want to learn. Young Jedi, master crypto, or at least get to a good spot. And then start 
bringing these other investments in because me trying to like, oh, you know, now I'm on the Voyager app. Now I'm on Coinbase. Now I'm doing this. I was like, yeah, I can't be doing, this is not the lifestyle that I want in how I'm looking at my investments. And that's what told me it was a problem. Yeah. Focus is key. It's, you just focus, like you work on one thing and you master it. And then you may never want to move on to something else. But I think it's really, especially when you're getting so much new information. So crypto is kind of completely like another world. You're just, I mean, between the NFTs and the DeFi. So NFTs are non-fungible tokens, which are, you know, they're just non-fungible tokens. We could talk about what more that is. And then you also have um, decentralized finance or DeFi. I mean, you have so many things in the crypto space that's beyond cryptocurrency. You could be like waiting in the, the crypto waters and like drowning. In crypto. Same thing with marijuana. There's so many things going on. You know, you could be just drowning in information. So I think it's just allowing yourself the time to get up to speed. It's like learning a new language. I mean, (laughs) and you kind of allow yourself that time. And then every so often you get more information or you might find something new. And I feel like crypto is like an onion. Like every time I turn around, pulling back a layer to go, wait a second. Yeah. It's beast. Like, and even just in a few weeks, I'm like, I'm telling people stuff like I've been doing this for years. And I'm like, let me stop acting like I know what it is. It's been like three weeks, but it feels like it's been months with all like the uh, the uh, motion in the, in the in the market. I did want to ask because I, I want to talk about crypto, but on the on the cannabis side. So someone hears this and they're like, oh, like I didn't even think about this. People have their preconceived notions about what investing in that is or how scary it is, isn't. So what do you find that people kind of get wrong or or what the common misconceptions are when it comes to cannabis investing specifically? Specifically, I think they find a love for penny stocks. It's like the cheaper, the better. And it's like, I tell people all the time, penny stocks are like the manager special at the supermarket. Mm. Oh, not that red tag meat. No. Facts. Red tag meat. Mm. It could be fine today, but you leave it in the refrigerator for one second too long. You know what happens. And that's exactly what penny stocks are. Like nine, like nine times out of 10, it's going to go bad. And then in that one offshoot or one opportunity that goes well, it's like everybody's talking to that person like they're a hero and they're going to re- replicate this wonderful, dramatic success. And that's usually not the case. That's an outlier. So, I mean, in cannabis, cannabis is such a diverse industry that there's so many things that you can get into without like, jumping into penny stocks. You have the illegality of cannabis. Is that a word? I think that's a word. It is. It causes a problem with the cannabis space. So in Canada, so Canada um, had, there's two sides of cannabis generally. There's more sides, but we'll just go with this for now. So you have medicinal um, cannabis, and then you have adult use or what's called recreational, which I really don't like the connotation. So I just say, you know, adult use or responsible use or whatever you want to call it, just not recreational. And the only difference is whether or not you have the prescription card, right? Correct. In Canada, they started the medicinal program in 2001. And then in 2018 is when they went to a fully functional adult use program. In Canada, they are completely legal. So 
That's one thing. In the United States, you have, I believe it's like 37 states, I have to look again, um, that have some sort of medicinal use program. And I think we're at maybe 14 states that have an adult use program. But at no point has the federal government said, yeah, this is okay. There's Canadian companies that are traded in the United States. Um, they're Canadian functioning companies, but they have um, they are traded on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. There's really stringent rules to be traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. So you have kind of, you have, you've provided yourself, or at least disclosure-wise, provided to the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ that you're qualified to be there. So there's that, a level of protection, not a whole bunch, because they do get delisted all the time. And a few companies in the cannabis space have gotten delisted. How do you get delisted though? If your share price falls below a dollar for a certain period of time, Ah, okay. um, there's a couple of different things that can happen, but it's usually about share price. I mean, so you're not on the exchange, like what happens? You go to like what's called the over-the-counter markets or the pink sheets, but it's kind of like the kiss of death. Once you get off the the major two stock exchanges, the New, the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ, you're done. You're done. You just might as well close your doors um, and file for bankruptcy. So it's a really bad thing to happen, but it does happen. So it, there's a level of, I don't want to say security because I don't want to say that at all, but there's a level of, of, better, of better quality stuff on the New York Stock Exchange, but, it, but not always. So it's not going to be, it's not the, it's not a panacea. It's not kind of the complete um, answer to everything, but it does help. Uh, so you have those companies that are traded, the Canadian companies trading in the United States. Then you have the United States companies that cannot be traded in the United States on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ, even if they meet the criteria, because the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ have rules that saying, listen, you cannot be traded on our uh, platform if you engage in illegal business. And like I said, mm. marijuana is still illegal. So they had to go to Canada. And the same thing with the Toronto Stock Exchange, which is, I guess, the Ken to New York Stock Exchange, but it's not as active as New York Stock Exchange. But that's kind of like their major stock exchange in Canada. But the Toronto Stock Exchange has the same exact issue. So they went to the Canadian Securities Exchange, where it was kind of like, bring us all your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. We'll take you. So a lot of the American companies are now trading in Canada on the Canadian Securities Exchange. The way you can get to them in the United States is on the the -the over-the-counter market, So, which is... Like I said, it's it's not the best place because it's not very liquid. It's not very transparent. Where do you find these markets that are like Amsterdam in some hood area where you don't want to find them where it's nice and seedy? How do you find these places? Where's the dice game? <laughs> so the dice game. So you, you'll find them sometimes um, like a company like Merrill Lynch will allow you to buy it. And, you know, Fidelity, uh, I think Fidelity, there's a couple of different um companies um, in terms of brokerages that will allow you to purchase some of these companies, even though they're not on the major exchanges, but they do have some requirements. Like you have to have a certain amount of money in your account. You have to kind of basically verify the transaction. And Merrill Lynch, at one point, I had to have a special card. I had to push it to give me a new number to make sure that like I was me and I wasn't just some random person getting into my account. It's a disaster. So it, it can be very painful to do. But it's very possible. So you have like you know you have United States stuff, you have the Canadian stuff, but then you also have United States companies that are engaged in some sort of the cannabis business, but not necessarily touching the plant. We have um, Scotts Miracle Grow. They have a hydroponics line. Uh So hydroponics and cannabis is a really big deal. You have IIPR, 
which is a an innovative industrial properties. It's the cannabis REIT. They actually rent um, they rent space to cannabis companies. So they have it's and it's also a REIT. So their dividend is pretty decent for a cannabis for a newer REIT. Also, you have you have companies that are involved, like alcohol companies. So we always yeah. have that conversation about the sin stocks. So alcohol companies, tobacco companies, they all have a lot of money, and they a lot of people are like, well, "What's going to happen to tobacco and, and alcohol if cannabis is legalized?" Nothing. And they took the position the same thing, like, "Hey, you know, nothing's really. It could reduce our market share. It could reduce how much we actually have consumers consuming our things." But we have a lot of cash. These cannabis companies don't. So if you can't beat them, you join them. So that's exactly what happened. So a lot of the tobacco companies, um, you know, I'll say Philip Morris, Altria, you know, have the company that does Corona. There's so many companies. Um, they do Sveca, Tobacca. Um, there's so many different companies in the tobacco and alcohol space that are involved in cannabis because they have the money and they can kind of, you know, join forces. It's crazy thinking about the realm of possibilities. And I'm thinking about a friend who I know is he's he's worked in tobacco. He's worked in alcohol. He's probably going to end up working in whatever else becomes legal, where it's it's almost like the vices industry coming together. But it, I would think of that as in terms of like alcohol, cigarettes, stuff like Miracle Girl. It's so freaking obvious. Like, I'm annoyed that I wouldn't think of something like that. So even if someone doesn't want to invest specifically in cannabis, uh, you can get creative and go a layer deeper, two layers deeper. And come to think about it, you could do that with everything. It's actually the first time I'm thinking about it this way. So that's thank you very much for instilling such a thought. It's called picks and shovels. That's what this side of investing is called. If you understand the ecosystem or how cannabis works or how cannabis grows, you're going to see that hey, you need fertilizer. Hey, if you're going to you're going to be um, growing inside, you're probably going to want to do hydroponics as opposed to soil. And who's doing that? And then also, as we get more advanced into the cannabis world, and we're doing oils extractions, there's companies that have been doing oil extraction from plants for years, and they're now in the cannabis space. All they did was take their talents from what they've been doing for years and took it to cannabis. And those are companies that I'm usually very interested in because it's like, oh, you really knew what you were doing over there. And now you're just taking your talent somewhere else. But those are all the picks and shovel plays that really work out for a lot of people who are like, hey, I'm interested in the space. I'm a little nervous about jumping in, but where else can I do or where else can I go? So even in pharmaceuticals, there's pharmaceutical companies that are engaged in cannabis uh, research and production. There's one like major, major one, which is um, a British company, but there's a couple of them that are kind of in the, the R&D phases. So you have that. Then you have the companies that do tobacco, companies that do alcohol. There's so many things that they you can kind of look in as an investor to say, hey, I'm interested in it. I may want some exposure. I want a little bit more exposure than, say, a vice ETF. And these are yeah. the companies that you're going to look into. So they have a whole nother line of business. Like they sell Corona, whatever they do. But then they also have this this experience with um, with cannabis. So yeah. those are the companies that I look at. Um, oh, it's Constellation Brands. Yes. And the friend I'm thinking of, he he has worked for, I feel like he's he's worked for all of these. I think I'm I'm really most fascinated by just like how how deep it can go in terms of how you look at all these various companies. Now, is there any place that you recommend? So let's someone let's say someone's like I don't want to do the the I just go after the big name companies where I'm coming in late, the price is already high and I'm buying high and I'm and I'm selling low. 
other places that people can look to get a sense of maybe not just like the top company, but hey, like here are all of the other things that are part of the supply chain that you also need to be thinking about? Google is like my best friend when it comes to like learning about these things. I'm like companies involved in the cannabis industry. And like they'll pop up a whole bunch. Now you have to do your research. I mean, I do have yeah. a cannabis class that I teach. Um, and I teach it probably, I only taught it once last year. I need to teach it some more because this stuff changes so often. Like they're talking about reintroducing a cannabis bill that's going to change the game. So everybody's like, oh my gosh, everybody in the industry is very excited. We don't know where it's going to go. But again, you know, if you look stuff up and, and on Google, it kind of opens up the door and you're going to have to do that research, but it's there. Um, and the same thing in the crypto space too, you know, crypto it takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of, um, you know, computer power. It also takes, you know, microchips or processors and all those other things that make crypto work. And that's the same opportunities. Like you may not need a crypto, you may not want to be doing cryptocurrency directly, but you have the opportunity to, to get into the space or be exposed to the space in other companies. Now you mentioned crypto. And I'm sure people are thinking, they're like, oh man, there's cannabis, but it's not just blatantly obvious it's just cannabis. There are these ingredients and products and, and all of these other things that, that people can invest in. And then there's this world of, of crypto that we're in right now. And uh, I did have someone on recently, another Courtney, and we talked a little bit about the crypto space and blockchains and why that's so hot right now. And I'm thinking, so somebody gets to the point where that they want to jump into things like they've made a decision, like this is a route that I want to go. This is the one thing. So going to what we were saying earlier, as opposed to trying to get into 80 million different investments, they want to get into crypto specifically. Like what's the general like starting point for someone who doesn't know any better? Who's like, look, I got, let's just say $500 set aside. I want to start playing around in crypto. I'm okay losing this money because that's the important part. I'm okay losing this money that I'm ready to put in there. I know there's some Ethereum. I know there's some this, and we're not going to define every single thing because there are websites in Google for that. But just like, as far as people here who are like, yo, I want to come up. I want to get in the freaking game. I got a little bit of money. What the hell do I do? <laughs> so I think the the biggest thing is that you have to kind of understand the space. And I would start with the currencies or the cryptocurrencies. So Bitcoin is like the gold standard. That's the gold standard. And then you have everything else, which are considered altcoins. But then in the altcoins, you have like JV and then you have like minor league kind of like right under like the majors. Oh, so, so JV is in like junior varsity. Yes. Got you. Cool. Got it. So you have like really, really like really good uh, currencies that are that are viable. And then you have some that are just like doge. Those just not viable. And a lot of people are like, well, Courtney has did really well. Yeah, it did. That doesn't mean it's a viable coin. So the biggest thing that I want people to look at when they're looking into crypto is I think everybody should have some Bitcoin. I'm starting my dollar cost averaging this week. I'm just going to DCA into it just repeatedly not try to play. I, I found myself trying to play the time to market game with this. And I, I'm not even I'm like, just just DCA it. And you have to. And that's another good point about kind of timing the market, like timing the crypto market is even very different. So remember with your with the stock market, you have your stock market hours and I always make it rele relevant or relative to the five heartbeats with Big Red, when he's like, my office hours are from nine to five. And he's like holding the guy over the rail. I mean, not so dramatic, but the, the yeah. stock market's open from 9.30 to four. So you have a relatively small period of time where you're active, people are actively trading. Like, of course, there's after hours trading, but it's not so active. 
It's kind of like Walmart when you go to Walmart after hours. The meat counter isn't open or the seafood counter isn't open. Like you can get the meats like the Oscar Mayer in the package, but you're not going to get that fresh, you know, deli meat. Like that's just how it goes. Yeah, you ain't getting that ribeye. (laughs) Exactly. You're not getting you're not getting the good stuff. Whatever's out is what you're going to get. And that's the same thing that's pretty much, you know, in the after hours market. But with crypto, you're 24 seven. So you're really kind of all over the place. So in the middle of the night, sometimes I've seen crypto go like down really, really low. And I'm like, what is going on? And then sometimes I see it go really high. I'm like, what is going on? And I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to put my phone down. I'm going to put my Coinbase away, my Binance away. Like even timing the market, it's just so much harder to do it because there's so many moving parts. It's so, it's still not necessarily regulated like the stock market is. So it's just like, if you want to get in, then get in and dollar cost average. Like I put in a certain, every two weeks, I put in a certain amount of, I mean, this is not investment advice. It's not telling me what to do. Yes. Entertainment purposes only, people. I, I put in a certain amount in Bitcoin and, and actually less so in Bitcoin, but I actually, ETH is like my my crypto of co- choice. It seems to be the most applicable to kind of taking the world to the next level. Ethereum actually has a smart contract. And smart contracts are? Smart contracts. So, I mean, it basically allows you to exchange without a middleman, if that makes sense. So, for example, smart contracts will allow people at some point to basically buy real estate without adding a real estate agent involved. Basically, just you kind of going through the motions with another party and you may never meet them. So, it just very much is a... It's a very much a hands-off kind of transaction thing. But that sounds scary. It is, and it's cool. I mean, the whole point is to take the middleman out. That's like the whole thought of the cryptocurrency space is that, hey, you know, every because every hand that you add into a transaction makes has to make money. It has to get paid. When I get these DoorDash fees with six different line items, I'm like, this pizza was twelve twenty two. Why is the why am I paying thirty forty six? It makes no sense. Exactly. So once you had those hands, they all the hands have to get paid. So it actually can bring down the cost of doing business significantly for the average person. Like for example, if um so I lived in the Philippines, um, and I also lived in Brazil for a little bit of time. And if I wanted to send my friends in the Philippines or Brazil money or something. The cost of Western Union, it is like if I wanted to send them like $20 as a birthday present, like I spent like 100 just to send you 20 Like, come on. I can send Bitcoin or I can send ETH or I can send whatever I want to send, um, whichever amount, just easily kind of through, they, I send them to their wallet. And it just makes life so much easier. So if I'm just sending a small amount of money, I'm not going through all these fees because it just makes it cost prohibitive if you're sm- sending a small amount of money with all the fees. It makes sense to me probably because I've started dabbling in it and I tend to just be into the like the tech stuff. Generally, I am a geek like that as well. But also I think about a time where it might have served me to have crypto when I lost my wallet or yeah, I lost and I, I couldn't get to anything. And I was like, I just need money, but I didn't have like my debit card. Anyway, for people who are thinking about like some of these like other things, they're like, oh, there's like the Cardano and or Cardano. I, I still don't know. I didn't actually know it was Dogecoin for like weeks because I never actually heard someone say it. And then I was like, I've been calling it Dodge. I've been wrong this whole time. There are these other things that are out there where some of them look actually pretty interesting. Like, uh, and this is not investment advice, but like Matic or what for, formerly Polygon is like super interesting to me. 
like you said, doing the research has been a big part of it. And there are some of these other ones where like, I have to really buy into the company. I'm not just buying the name because that's what's trendy and, and moving. I probably do that a bit more diligently with stocks than with crypto, but it is still very much uh, a factor. So what do you say? Like, cause there's Bitcoin, there's ETH, and then there's like all these other things that are out there. So yes, I call Bitcoin my gold, ETH my silver, and then everything else. So it could be anything from copper to pyrate. I don't know if you know pyrate, it's kind of fool's gold. So that's kind of like my my explanation. Um, and most things fall into pyrate, fool's gold. But I tell people, and this is the same thing with the stock market. There's a couple of similarities. Like what does it supposed to, what is it supposed to do? Like what is it telling the world that it does and does it actually do it? And if the, is there a need to do it? So for example, like when you go to Target, Target like doesn't tell you, like you don't go to Target with a list. Target tells you what you, what you need. Okay. Target does tell you what you need and it gets its gas too. And so, I mean, but the same thing is that, you know, Target, you know, provides a service and it does it relatively well. It makes it, you know, I like shopping at Target. I mean, if I have to go to Walmart and this is no shades, Walmart, I, like I'm not happy about it. I'm like, ah, oh, gotta go to mm, Walmart. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But with Target, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to Target. Woo-hoo. But I, looking at the crypto market, the same thing is that, you know, you have um, a coin. Does it do what it says it's going to do? You know, is it needed? Is that a necessary thing? Understanding if it's needed, does it do what it says it's going to do? And if it's needed, that kind of helps you think about the coin in a reasonable way. Like Doge was actually specifically said, like it wasn't done for any reason. We were just proving that people just buy anything. That was really what the what the founders of Doge said. I got to get that shit out of my portfolio. <laughs> yeah, it's just there hanging out. Losing money. It's it's collecting dust. That's the, the thing. And because it's not as regulated as the stock market is, and I, I'm very sure that in the next year or so, it's going to be regulated like the stock market. That's what I think. Because the SEC is taking a look at it, um, a couple of yeah. crypto ETFs. So I think they are really getting to that point. But that being said, kind of circling back to generally, it's really that research aspect. Is it doing what it says it's going to do? So ETH actually runs a lot of different programs, I guess, for lack of a better term. They run a lot, you, a lot of things run off of ETH. So that's something that I'm like, hey, this really has a good use. And then when I look at some other things like Matic, I look at some other um, Cardano, I look at some of them like, okay, well, this is what you do. Like proof of stake is actually an important concept in the crypto world. So there are a lot of proof of stake coins. You know, what does it do? How long has it been around? What is the number of coins of circulation? It's kind of the same thing with stocks. I mean, when I'm looking at a stock, I'm like, okay, you know, what's the volume? Three three shares were done this whole day between 930 and four. I'm exaggerating, but only the volume is three shares. So can we talk about volume for a second? Because now that I think about it, I've never actually talked about the importance of volume. And I'll be f- like fully honest when, I'm, when I've looked at stocks and things, I, I haven't paid as much attention to the volume as other stuff, which is probably why my ass need to be DCA and not playing around in, in, in the game at all. Why is the volume part important? Because it's very easy for people to look just at the price and whether it's been up and down. So volume tells you like who is in it, like who's going in and out of it. Like that's what, and you want to know, telling you how many people are going in and out of it or how many people are actually in it, it does help to say, or like, you know, market cap too. Like it's telling you like how many people have adopted this as something to be on, if that makes sense, or something to be involved with. That's important. It's like daily active users for an app. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's the biggest thing that I try to tell people like, okay, well, what's going on? Like, what's the market cap? What's the volume? What's the circulating supply? Like how much is floating around in the world? And if you see like a couple of, you know, a million coins are circulating, wait a minute, what? Like that doesn't make sense. I'm looking at the market cap. I'm like, okay, it's over, you know, it's 10 billion. Okay. What's the volume? Like half of the market cap, like looking at the numbers, I want you to see big numbers there. And some people are saying, well, Courtney, well, I want to get into the next big coin. I don't know what to tell you. I can tell you the standards and I can tell you as you learn more about the space, you will learn to say, you know what? I think that coin has a chance of doing something amazing. Same thing with a company. Like as you learn more about the stock market and as you really get into your lane about what you know, you're going to find the opportunities. Like my mom was a, a retired, is a retired nurse, excuse me. She, but when she was nursing, she there were certain companies that she really rocked with. You know, she would say, hey, I really think this company is going to do something amazing. And she was right because she was in the space. She understood what they were doing. And so the, the less, the more exposure you have to a space, the more you're kind of able to think to yourself like, hey, that makes sense. No, that doesn't make sense. But if you're not in the space, then you just have to become a lot more educated. So you're going to need to look at the white paper for every single coin that you're interested in investing in. And, and that's also for you to kind of do more research. Once you look at the white paper, I'm going to Google, well, does, you know, XYZ coin do what it says it's going to do? Does it do it? You know, is it viable? What are other people saying about it? And it's not, and I don't want you to say what other people are saying about it and take their word, but it's kind of yeah. informing all of the decisions that you're making. And, and here's the other thing. You're not going to hit it out of the park every single time. And I think as long as you allow yourself that opportunity and you stick within your percentages, there they are again, you make Yo. sure that you're not going too far out. Yeah. And so I had a reaction over here about the percentages because I just got locked down on that and it, it's made a big difference. The, the other thing, and it's kind of obvious, is like the role of discipline and patience in this and just sticking to your principles. And so now that, that I've gotten kind of comfortable with, okay, like I want to take 25, whatever percent it is. And okay, like if, if it gets to this level of loss, I'm out or I'm just going to hold knowing it's, it's going to go back up. Even just seeing like one full cycle now of the market where I've seen it, you know, ride high and 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 come down to where some things went from being like over two dollars to like, <laughs> you know, ninety six cents and, and and stuff like that. Super important. And and one last thing I, I wanted to get to on this, and uh, I've been trying to work on my analogy for how to describe just like the blockchain. And I was talking to a friend about this, and the analogy that he made to me was that uh, Ethereum is is the equivalent of an operating system. And so that would kind of also apply to like Cardano and some of these other ones that are specifically blockchains or level one versus level two. Those are the, for lack of a better phrase, like those are the like applications that are like built on top of that level one to ultimately allow the transactions to happen faster. I think that's great. I think that's a great, I, like you kind of, you have your foundation and then kind of what's running on top of it. And you also see if you, once you're starting to look at what's running on top of it, you see a lot of things running on Ethereum. Yeah. And so Ethereum has been a friend, Matic has been a friend, but like we say, definitely go out there, do research, know that you probably are going to lose some money. Regardless of what you do, you, you need to be prepared to lose some money. It's not going to be wins all day, every day. And Courtney, it's been awesome to finally have you on the podcast. There's so much more stuff we could have talked about as far as the crypto world goes. And one thing I, I was curious about as we wrap up, and I mentioned this to you up front, is uh, I've noticed crypto, it reminds me very much of 
Silicon Valley bro-y tech. When I go look at these white papers and these websites, I do have a little bit of like internal turmoil where I'm like, I'm really big on DEI, but at the same time, I'm trying to get this coin and I do actually believe in where this thing is going to go in the future. So it's kind of hard to, to reconcile that. So that's my experience as a brother looking in. I'm curious what's been kind of your experience. So outside of getting the coin, just as being a woman in the space, honestly, I honestly don't know very many. And of course, I know I'm not deep in these streets, but at the same time, we're both in personal finance and I don't know very many. So it's so interesting as you say that it, I do. It's a push and pull for me, too. It's a push and pull for me across the board in personal finance and some of these other spaces, too, because cannabis is very white also. But I think to a certain extent, understanding that a lot of it is based in history and a lot of it is based on the system. And the way that we are able to, I, I think this is a way for us to break out of the system. I think, yes, uh, blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency is very bro-ish, but I also see the opportunity. There's a lot of spaces, especially in the NFT space, that a lot of us are getting our due. Where um, there's a, There was a, I was in a um, virtual art gallery where there was um, Black artists or Black artists, I mean, that we know of actually showcasing their work and they were going to the marketplace without kind of an art gallery or, you know, kind of an intermediary and really making the money that they were entitled to or they were worth. And I think this space really, once you take out the middleman, it really allows us, allows us to flourish. So no, I don't love the way cryptocurrency comes across but it's also a function of cryptocurrency is very much a techie thing and tech is not emphasized in on a large scale in communities of color. And it hasn't been. I mean, when they, I've noticed, and I'm like, a, I came, my dad's a math teacher, so I can't come home with, I'm not, I can't do this. I'm not doing math. We don't play those games with math. But I can also see, and I also listen to other people that I was around, and the first thing they were saying is, oh, math is too hard for me, or numbers, that's too much. And I think that was a narrative that was encouraged in schools. So the opportunities that may have been there, um, that someone might have been able to jump into tech to actually get into a place where they would be able to you know, um, start a cryptocurrency or utilize cryptocurrency was kind of really cut off on the knees very early in education when you did not push them beyond their comfort zone because you didn't, to a lot of extent, a lot of teachers didn't believe that they could. And I, that's what I also love about HBCUs. If you look at the number of PhDs in STEM and actually professionals across the board, HBCUs, and I'm not an HBCU grad, but the HBCUs have pushed out the most African-American professionals, STEM people in the nation consistently over their history. And it just shows me that if you actually allow people to grow and learn, they we will succeed and be and do all those things. So I, I get excited, but I'm like, yeah, the system was set up this way. I'm going to acknowledge the way the system was set up. I'm going to encourage others, people to kind of get up to speed and me as being a teacher, I can help that. But then also it's my job to contribute to those educational institutions that actually promote this type of learning and encouragement. So it's like money makes money. So I'm like, okay, I can get my money. And I, I and not only can I get this money, I can share with people like my peers, but then I also can influence by, you know, providing funding to the next generation. 
I love that. I love that. Yo, you know how to close the game out strong because that is a <laughs> a fantastic. It actually got me kind of fired. I've been like, I mean, I'm like, I'm thinking about like purpose and mission and uh, and, and and some of this other stuff. I'm so glad that we were finally able to make this happen. So let the PNB fam know uh, where they can find you, and also if you got anything that's that's coming up. I'm pretty sure you're pretty much around the web at the Ivy Investor. Yes, everywhere that you can find me. So YouTube. Facebook, Instagram. I'm on Instagram the most. Twitter, I'm trying to tweet as more, but I'm actually also on public since you shared it. I actually have a ver- a blue check on public and on Instagram. So now you can't tell me nothing. Excuse <laughs> me. But those are the places that I hang out. So pretty much Instagram and public is where I'm the most. I kind of pop in on Twitter, but those are pretty much the places I am. But I do have a YouTube channel. I may be doing a, a summit this summer. Um, I did a summit last summer, really went well. People got a lot of value. Probably going to do that again. Awesome. Awesome. So definitely keep me, keep us posted on what's happening in the summit world. Definitely encourage folks to go out and follow you on the various platforms. One thing I like about public and probably a lot of the other platforms is you can just kind of like follow and see what other people are doing and learn that way as well. So just because you're on these platforms does not mean that you need to be making moves. So yeah, this has been exquisite. I don't know if I've used that word recently. It has been exquisite having you on the podcast, Courtney. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you dropping knowledge on the PNB fam. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Courtney for coming on the podcast. This episode was three years in the making, like I said, up top and way overdue, but glad we finally had the chance to connect and make it happen. And when it comes to investing, there are so many things to get into in a way that fits your lifestyle and interest. So remember the importance of building a foundation and doing your research. I know it's easy to get overwhelmed, but it can also be fun if you allow it to be. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with someone like yourself and follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player if you haven't already. And if you have thoughts on today's show, hit us up on Twitter and or Instagram at Paybalances and at The Ivy Investor. Thanks for listening. Until next time, do something dope.